Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 404 for Halloween. Recorded October 8th, 2023. Halloween at time of recording. Halloween, well, yes. Yeah, it's October 8th, so. But I, I am in the Halloween spirit already. Halloween decorations are up. I'm looking. We, we spent yesterday, Saturday, watching uh, horror movies on Sci-Fi Channel. It's awesome. Love this time of yes. year. Yeah, me too. Yeah, we went to uh, the Spirit Halloween store last night, and uh, I was very disappointed there was no Star Trek stuff. No Star oh. Wars stuff either. I mean, the, like, there was like a kid's Star Wars section, but... Uh-huh. Nothing for adults and no Star Trek at all either. So I was a little disappointed. Well, well, uh, there's so many places you can get stuff online. Sure. It's like how, how some of these brick and mortar places still make money. I don't know. But um, yeah, I haven't been one of those in years. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted, you know, I wanted to get my uh, prodigy uniform or something, you know, because that's oh, I figured right. that would be a big seller this year. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. The prodigy uniform. Yeah. The least, the, the least likely one you would find under normal circumstances, and now that the show is canceled, even less probability. Or oh, limbo. In limbo. Well, it's probably it, not going to. It may. Back. It may come back. It may come back. But well, the second season that's already the produced. Fun. But right. highly unlikely there will be a third. <laughs> Anywho. All right, but speaking of what the Halloween spirit, yes, yeah, so uh, IDW was also in the Halloween spirit this month, and each week they have a uh, Halloween-themed uh, issue, all called Star Trek Halloween, Hollow being H-O-L-O, get it? Like the hollow deck, but this is Halloween. Um, it's a next generation story so i mean when it was just called star trek halloween i thought well maybe it would be an anthology but it seems to be one continuous story four issues released weekly for the month of october it's pretty right pretty cool yeah i i like it so far it's only the first issue but and there are some things that are a little on the lame side but it's <laughs> like it's so it's a little lame it's like how could you not do that come on you had to do that uh, right. Did with data. I mean, come and in uh, Star Trek's no no stranger to horror. I mean, there's a lot of cool horror episodes um, in all the incarnations. I mean, horror adjacent. How about that? Adjacent, yes. Yeah. So, so the uh, antagonist in this story is a uh, some an entity brought back from Taw's days, which is pretty cool. Spoilers. Well. I don't think that's a spoiler. I mean, I didn't say, uh, I didn't actually call out the name. Yeah, well. But I mean, but there's been like, you know, even Voyager and Deep Space Nine and I can't remember an Enterprise episode, which was kind of like, but 
But uh, definitely, like, Next Generation, there's, like, some really good, like, Twilight zone type episodes. Like, that one huh. where Riker's in that play and kept, like, revisiting, well, like, the, the kind of like in a loop or something. That was a that was a good horror like episode. Do you remember yeah, that? A little bit, yeah, oh yeah. I thought that I thought of that more like Twilight Zoney as yeah. opposed to horror, but yeah. But I would think Twilight um, Zone's kind of horror, right? I mean not slasher horror. Depends on the episode. Yeah. Depends on the episode. Yeah. Some definitely are. Uh I mean the, the whole idea of science fiction and horror being so adjacent is true. It is true. Uh uh, the, all the aliens, you know, the alien franchise, mm-hmm. very, very uh, horrific, uh, as well as very sci-fi. And, uh, and like you say, a lot of the Twilight Zone things are like that. Um, so, yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's why they're my two favorite uh, genres. There you go. Uh, I think that episode uh, in Voyager where those what those little insect things start infesting the crew. And it's down to uh, Janeway with her Rambo big oh, yeah. laser yeah, rifle. Basically the, the alien ripoff where she's looking like Ripley at the end. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, that that was spooky. That was a little <laughs> horrible. Uh, well, I mean, uh, as bad as that episode is, the, uh, the episode where they go warp 10 is actually a pretty good horror episode because it's very indicative of like the fly John Carpenter's. Mm-hmm. I'm not John Carpenter. Yes, uh, sir. David Cronenberg's The Fly. Yep. I can I mean, see that. The body horror. I mean, right. I, I would, I would, I would say that was a horror episode, even though it's a really bad episode. <laughs> <laughs> it is, but very ooky. Right. Ooky. But anyways, yeah, this issue is good, and it, like you said, it does have some uh, tiebacks to other Star Treks, which is always a nice thing in your comic books. Yeah, I like some lore. Not not uh, not, uh, not Lord, Data's brother, the Data's brother, but some <laughs> some story continuity callbacks. Lore. Yeah, yeah, callbacks to what has gone before, but it really fits well in the current story. So but not I before it was very like good. Data's brother. No, no, no. I I think we made that clear. But no, yes. you said before. I thought you were doing it on purpose. That, oh, that I mentioned lore and a random I conversation even sentence, thinking and of then that. you mentioned before in a random sentence right after. I thought you did it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not that clever. Yeah, hey, you're wittier than you thought, Ken. Oh, oh yes, I planned it all. <laughs> yeah, not, not really. Anyhow, so all right, you want to jump uh, into the show? so the first two of four today. Yep, and then uh, next time we'll do the next four, and it's of course is taken. It's going to take us the whole month to do it, but that's just fine. Right. So we'll yeah, see what and, it says. And it starts off well, so I hope, hope it uh, has a good finish. So Halloween, Halloween, number one. Publish date, October 2023. Writer Chris Sequiera. I'm sure I didn't do that right. Sorry, Chris. Artist Joe Isma. Colorist Charlie Kirchhoff. Letterer Clayton Cowles. Design and production by Amelia Taki, senior editor Heather Antos, editorial assists Vanessa Riel. Okay, so we got a mere three covers. Cover A presents Troy and Picard in the foreground on alert with a Borg-looking Jack the Ripper complete with top hat coming up behind them. The grid background tells us they are in a holodeck room 
but the spooky shadows, red lights, and fog tell us it's not a normal holodeck jaunt. Cover B is dominated by a green Medusa head with demonic eyes, a creepy smile, and snakes ready to attack. Deanna is in the foreground, understandably freaking out with fear. I mean, look at that mouth. She is really fearful. Ah! Oh, that one was by uh, Suspiria Vilchez. And the first cover was by uh, Francesco Francavilla. Cover C presents a black and white version of cover A. While the Enterprise D makes her way through highly energetic solar storms between Argelius II and Enoch VII, the rough ride is unsettling the entire crew. None more so than Counselor Troy, whose empathetic abilities makes her sense the fear of the entire crew, which is almost overwhelming her. The almost crippling effects of the magnified anxiety and fear from the entire crew makes her think how the entire crew could be similarly affected if they experienced what she is experiencing. The ship exits the storm and emerges into normal space. The entire crew breathes a collective sigh of relief. The counselor emerges from the turbo lift onto the bridge with a proposal for the captain and crew. As a way to flip the bird at fear itself. Yes, I'm paraphrasing. She wants to have the whole crew take part in an old Earth tradition called Halloween. We can have a themed party complete with fancy dress. Data chimes in with more details, saying the Origins had participants rising above evil and terror by dressing as monsters and demons. Worf mentions a similar Klingon holiday called... Micron Day. The captain agrees despite its juvenile overtones. Data initiates a computer search on all related data to help them with their Halloween preparations. Right outside the ship in orbit around a nearby planet is a red energy entity, somewhat familiar to the people of Earth, Rigel 4, Deneb 2, and countless other worlds. The entity's amazing abilities pick up on the thoughts of fear and terror and shock and thinks it's time to feed. The red energy being makes the jump from the planet to the Enterprise D entering the holodeck, a place it thinks it can make use of. Two crew members are enjoying an unlikely snowy ski run. As they wrap up their skiing for the day, they are overcome by the entity who finds their sudden fearful reaction to it delectable. Though the entity is able to bind the two crew members and keep them in a state of nourishing fear, the entity must have more. Elsewhere in the ship, Picard is having a meeting with his senior staff discussing business of the day, including the Halloween party, when Worf walks in and reports two crew members are missing. They are not in the holodeck they were last in before their comm badges went offline. Picard orders a thorough search. Deanna detects a small seed of fear in Captain Picard. Elsewhere, the obnoxious Lieutenant Block, who is a medical security officer, is in sickbay poo-pooing Dr. Crusher when she reminds him his priority is to review security for quarantined medical materials. 
He says he will get to it, but first he has to investigate a lead on the missing crew members. He leaves and enters a strangely dark holodeck. In short order, the entity claims a new victim. Reports of missing crew members from all over the ship filter into the bridge. Word gets around, and the anxiety levels start increasing all over the ship. The fear levels go through the roof when Rejack announces his presence throughout the ship and says he will feed and doom is coming your way. Picard recognizes the name and recalls Kirk's dealings with an entity going by that name. Picard goes on shipwide intercom and orders a shipwide lockdown. Reg comes into Deanna's quarters in a state of total freakout, thinking he is somehow responsible for, for the Rejack infestation. Deanna settles him down and gets him on his way to his quarters when a half dozen other people are at her door looking for help with their overwhelming feeling of fear and dread. Meanwhile, Data sees an anomalous power supply conduit surge in a holodeck and decides to check it out. He finds himself locked in, and the deck changes into an 1880s London scene, not unlike his Sherlock Holmes programs. Lieutenant Block is in period-appropriate clothes and a strange, malevolent sound to his voice. He confronts Data and attacks him with a walking cane sword. Data easily brushes the possessed human to the ground while taking the sword from him. Redjack ups the stakes by injecting his current host with Borg nanites that he took from medical isolation. The Borgified Redjack blocks has two fearsome blades instead of his hands and attacks Data again. Despite Data's fast moves to avoid the blade attacks, he is eventually beheaded by Redjack. Picard from the bridge is getting a report from Worf, who says it's pandemonium where he is. Redjack has turned Mr. Data into the Frankenstein monster, and together they are exiting Holodeck 9. They are moving into the ship and spreading fear like a contagion throughout the crew. As they advance, Redjack says he will make the entire vessel a kingdom of horrors. To be continued. Yikes. Like a haunted house. Yeah. Yeah, he should have said that. Kingdom of horrors, haunted house. There you go. Haunted ship. So Block is the one possessed by Redjack right now. So what happened to those first two ensigns? Did he just drain them somehow or kill them? Uh, Apparently not important. (laughs) (laughs) Because they don't tell us. Uh, Plus, uh, other people are going... Other people were going missing too, not just the first two. Yeah, exactly. Years, so I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think the writer cares. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't I, know if we're gonna find out. I just wonder if, if. I mean, there's a lot of crew members disappearing. So are they all yep. going to uh, come back at the end, or is this going to be a really gr- gruesome ending with like hundreds of people missing? I, I don't know. I don't know. And they may just be in a, in a specific location they haven't found yet. I don't right. know. That somehow uh, like shielded from all the computers. <laughs> well, yeah. So, so they were talking about they were talking about their badges going offline, but right. um, 
yeah, internal ship sensors, could they have been used? I, right. I, I agree with you. They could have been, but they never mentioned them. Or the little Mr. Microphone thing that could pick up a heartbeat somewhere on the ship. Uh, the Mr. Microphone. You are going back. So, so that, so that was court martial. Yeah, was yeah, court? Where they, where they court were martial did that. Yep. Oh yep. boy, that was a deep spot. Yeah. Okay. Where they had to <laughs> remove all the heartbeats from the people that the microphone touches. There's still uh, one more. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the ship's computer is amazing what it can do when the script calls for it. Exactly. All right. So obviously this is a uh, a uh, continuation of Wolf in the Fold. Mm-hmm. A Taz episode. Taz episode. Um, and it's, uh, you know, I mean, that would also be kind of a, a horror episode of uh, Star Trek with a Jack the Ripper slasher type uh, vibe. I, I definitely agree. Where Scotty and Piglet are going around killing everybody. <laughs> You get the piglet, piglet. reference. No, yeah, like the, the guy who plays the the person that rejects in the most is uh, was Piglet from the old Winnie the Pooh shows. Oh, that actor. Oh, okay. Yeah, hold on. The he, actor. The actor. I thought he wasn't in him until towards the end. Because wasn't he the wasn't he the doctor or not the doctor the lawyer? Wasn't he the lawyer? Uh, or something? No, he was the investigator that was there to oh investigate investigate the whole thing. But in reality, he was the killer all along. Oh, okay, okay. Piglet, that's funny. But yeah, he he's played by Piglet. Yeah, <laughs> well, th- that guy was in a lot of stuff in the sixties. Right. Yeah, it's always so funny listening to watching shows and he shows up or the guy who plays Winnie the Pooh, you know, because he that guy was in a lot of like Superman episodes and stuff like that. And every time hmm. every time he would start talking, my wife would be like, Winnie the Pooh's in this episode again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's Professor whatever, whatever. That's invented some crazy thing. Yeah. <laughs> so it is funny hearing those voices pop up in okay. these old shows. But right. uh, but anyways, uh, that episode written by uh, Robert Block. Which uh, oh, obviously nice uh, Ensign uh, or Lieutenant uh, Block is named after him. Oh, funny! That's and Robert so Block, cool. obviously being the uh, author of uh, Psycho. Oh, he wrote the script. Uh, he wrote the novel. Or the novel? Yeah, yeah he wrote the, the novel. Was based, was based on? on. Yeah. Oh, how interesting! Wow, you did some research. Well, I mean, Psycho is one of my favorite books, so I, I kind of already knew that one. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, so they brought Red Jack back, which I think was a great move, because I think when you really think about it, Red Jack is kind of a, I mean, as long as you buy into the idea that this incorporeal being can do all the things it can do, it can infest yeah. and control people, it can infest and control computers, computers. and electronics. Yeah. So the fact that he can do all of these amazing things makes it a little hard to believe, but then it, it also makes it a very formidable uh, villain, bad guy. Right. Dangerous 100%. entity. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I like the whole slasher thing. I mean, um, I mean, this one doesn't have anybody getting outright killed, but I mean, obviously it's probably going to at some point. But the, the old episode, you know, he would take over somebody, give them a good stabbing, give somebody a stabbing, and then he could move on to the next person. Right. So uh, apparently he found that, um, although we're not seeing in this book yet, that threatening someone with the fear of death and then actually killing them and then experiencing their fear as they die uh, is just uh, just great for this guy. Yeah, exactly. We haven't actually literally, like you say, we haven't actually literally seen that in this book so far. Right. 
Yeah, Although I, those those two first people, eh, those skiers, they could be dead. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm not expecting them to come back. Although, Although I was pretty excited to see uh, Ensign uh, Sarah Chambers. Uh, obviously, I was just like, "Ooh, that's a good name." Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope she makes it past the second page. <laughs> nope. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> So the idea that Rejak is an incorporeal being that originated on Earth and then spread to the stars as mankind did is cool and spooky. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then uh, the idea that he can enter people and turn them into puppets and then that to, to commit bloody murder um, to incite the fear that it feeds on is a great horror concept. And it's not... 100% unusual. I mean, we've seen things kind of sort of like this. But this was back in the 60s, and I don't know how many times they, they used this trope prior to uh, this episode of Star Trek, but it's it's a pretty cool uh, and scary concept. Um, the idea that you can't kill Rejack uh, makes it poten- potentially the focus of a horror film franchise, just like uh, Freddy, Michael, Jason. So there you go. Kirk was able to get rid of it finally by beaming it into space. Uh, but he never knew if he killed it. So it always keeps the door just, open. He didn't just beam it into space. He dispersed the atoms of uh, Piglet into space. So it's not even uh, like he like, okay, reformed but, him. Okay. But the thing is, uh, the physical entity that was Piglet, as you keep calling him, is one thing. Is one thing. But the incorporeal entity, Kirk had no idea what effect that was going to have on the incorporeal entity. Right, right. So it leaves the it leaves the door open for him to come back over and over again because you can't kill him, or at least as far as we know, we can't kill him. Right. We don't know of a way to kill him yet. Obviously, it didn't kill him. It showed up today. There you go. Um, And then the last, I think the last thing I want to mention is, yeah, there are parallels between uh, the Dexter series of books that presented the dark passenger as the entity that inhabited Dexter and made him do all the murderous things he did. Uh, The TV series didn't talk about that, but the books sure made it sound like the dark passenger was a real thing, not just a a metaphorical thing that, or a figment of Dexter's imagination. I mean, they made it, especially uh, some of the books in the series, Dexter series, uh, one in particular went into more details about the Dark Passenger and was talking about its history um, as there being multiple of multiple Dark Passengers and that they inhabited, uh, you know, hundreds or thousands of people as long as uh, Homo sapiens were around. So um, that's kind of scary. And it kind of seems a little bit like Rejak, if there was more than one Rejak, and there very well could be. I don't know. They don't. Right. They never say that. Yeah, if he was a species, yeah. Right. So they both originated on Earth, or at least that's as far back as human knowledge knows about. And, uh, and it inhabits people. It makes them kill people. Does the dark passenger feed on fear? I don't think they ever mentioned that, but who knows? Maybe it is. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I just thought I'd mention that. Seems a little bit of a stretch. Well, is it? Well, I mean, the fact that it feeds off fear and it is Red Jack. 
is a little bit. But no, oh, the, no, the parallels of... I didn't of... say it is. Okay. I didn't say, it's Re- I didn't say that the Dark Passenger is Red Jack. I'm just saying that we don't know that the Dark Passenger is is not feeding off of fear. We don't know that. Yeah. And we don't know for sure that it's not just all in his head. That is possible also. Although, again, as I say, one of the books made it sound like uh, the third person omniscient narrator mm-hmm. uh, was giving the Dark Passenger's history. Right. Uh, as opposed to it coming out of uh, uh, Dexter's head. But who knows? Right, right. Uh, there is nothing new under heaven and earth. <laughs> Just recycled ideas. Well, talking about recycle, that, that leads into to my little comments about Red yes. Jack. Oh. All right. So obviously he originated in the show, but this is not the first time he's re-shown back up. Uh, mm-hmm. We had the 1986 Taz uh, DC Comics issues number 22 and 23 was called Wolf on the Prowl, which had Red Jack on a temple on Enoch 4. And Kurt, who was in charge of the Excelsior at the time, uh, had to like trap him in a wormhole vortex, which I've never heard of before or since. So that was kind of cool. We covered that back in issue 221, if anybody wants to go back and listen to it. And then also uh, Wildstorm took a stab at Red Jack, uh, this time in the Next Generation time frame, Embrace the Wolf. And this uh, might sound familiar. Red Jack takes over a holodeck, and uh, they are at Enoch 7. And it ends with Picard being able to trap Red Jack in like one of those uh, Spock coffin uh, torpedoes. And then he gives the torpedo to the inhabitants of Enoch 7 so that the people there can have uh, Red Jack answer for all the troubles he's caused on their planet. And that was... Uh, so, yeah, so we covered so, that so back in episode So was this a direct sequel to that? That's what I'm wondering, because even Data says that he's encountered Red Jack before. He said he and other Starfleet officers have stopped him in the past, and I was just like, wait a minute. Are you actually making a reference to a Wildstorm comic that came out 23 years ago? Uh, if so, that's like... Ooh, that's a good that's a good deep cut, but uh, definitely well, not tra- something that IDW normally does. They were traveling between Argelius two and Enoch seven. I know, isn't that weird? I <laughs> and, know, and it's so weird that Enoch five is the one that's in the Kirk story. So it's just like, right? How is how is all three different publishers all coming up with the same little area when it wasn't actually referenced in? the episode as being Enoch. I mean, this is something that was made up for DC Comics and then Wildstorm and now IDW has just ran with it, which I think is kind of well, cool. Well, is this, is this like a nod to that uh, Wildstorm comic then? I hope so, because it, it's uh, too big of a coincidence not to be. Right, because yeah, so, I, mentioned, I mentioned Picard recalling what happened to Kirk, but it didn't yeah. say that in the comic. I just assumed that. Right. Yeah, so Data's actual words were, uh, you're capable of possessing humans defeated by myself and others in previous encounters with Starfleet. So that Mm. was what really got me going, like, are they actually making a reference to the Wildstorm issue? Wow. I thought that was really cool. Cool, that's good. That's great. So, so yeah, so we got uh, 
We got Wildstorm referencing DC Comics Volume 1, which was a crazy time. That was when, uh, between uh, the third and fourth movie, where they were on the Excelsior because the Enterprise was exploded. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So is that canon now in this, too? I don't know. I mean, seems like it is if it was Enoch 4. Well, I think the writer knows his uh, (laughs) comic book as well as TV show uh, history. So Chris... You know, he, he may have factored a lot of things into this. Right. So good stuff. Yeah. I mean, I but haven't caught it. It didn't seem like it was bogged to... down. So that's cool. Yeah, no, it was great. I mean, it was confusing. I mean, if somebody just read that and uh, data saying that they think they've encountered before, mm-hmm. um, I would be confused if I hadn't already read that uh, that 23 year old comic book. And I you read know, and just moved on. Right. Like you did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just read it and moved on. No, I, oh, I, look, his head's chopped off. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was really excited about the those references. Yeah. Yeah, and even cool. in that other one, uh, Data does go into a holodeck that's all decked out just like this one, and he encounters, you know, a, a Sherlock Holmes-type uh, encounter with uh, the Jack the Ripper, if you remember. If you can remember us reviewing that back in 2015, it's been a while. Not really. I lo- I loved it. I loved that it tied into it. But that I do have fun. a question about Enoch 7, if I may. Sure. So Enoch 7 means that it's the seventh planet in the Enoch system, right? So the star's name is Enoch, and Enoch 7 is the seventh planet, right? Seventh planet from the star. Right. Typically, that's what that is. Yeah. And then the uh, solar storm that they had to pass through was in between Argelius 2, which would be the second planet in the Argelius system, and mm-hmm. Enoch 7, which is the seventh planet in a completely different Star system. solar yep. system. So that's mm-hmm. a big chunk of space to say, oh, we, we passed through it. I mean uh, – Well, it could have been more on the side of Enoch 7 than, than the uh, other planet. Yeah, but what a weird you way. Don't, you don't know where. Is it? Okay. I mean, it's like we passed we pass through a storm cloud between, you know, uh, Alpha Centauri 3 and uh, Soul System 2, right? I mean, it's just like <laughs> that's weird because there's a lot of planets in between there that you're also in between, you know? Just Well, those just are the habitable ones. I mean, so that, they're, they're probably referring to – uh, Enoch 2 and then well they're probably referencing those specific planets because there may be Starfleet or known civilizations on those two particular planets okay nah, I don't know I just thought it was weird I mean and if it and if you are talking about that big of a space I mean how big was the solar storm that you couldn't just go around it well I completely agree with that uh, the idea that the solar storm was pressure uh, and by the way what is a solar storm doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, you would think a solar storm would be coming from a star, but you're traveling between two st- two star systems, right? And and so so is this a storm that's just out in the middle of open space, not near any star, or is this a storm that's uh, that's related to Enoch, the Enoch star, right? Since you're going to Enoch, and then you pop out of the storm, 
and then you're pretty close to Enoch seven. So, I mean, the whole thing is like, it's a little confusing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just, I, like I said, when I first read it, I just kind of like went through it and was just like, okay, it's between two planets. But then I started thinking about it. I'm like, that's two planets in two different solar systems. So it's mm-hmm. a little right. weird wording. Hmm. And and I'm just wondering, well, I mean, why is everybody so shaken up about it? It's just, I mean, we've seen them fly through nebulas and storms before, and it didn't like make people so so anxious that they had to have big parties. So. Because it's a Halloween story, and people have to be shaken up. There has to be some spooky fear. It's a Halloween story, Donovan. Come on, give it the program. But I completely agree with you. I mean, they they fly through all kinds of. Uh, interstellar anomalies and they don't get freaked out right so i thought the idea that that block borgified block mm-hmm. slash regac was uh, able to take data's head off i thought that was pretty i thought it was pretty interesting that without the borg nanites he was just a human that was uh that was controlled by regac so far slower weaker than data mm-hmm. and that data was able to ow Give me a break, pal, and just knock him to the ground. Yeah, just catch the sword in his hand and be like, ah, <laughs> you exactly. can't hurt me. Yeah, it was pretty cool. <laughs> exactly. I thought, that was, I thought that was pretty cool. And then, and then of course, Red Jack brings out his edge, injects himself with the Borg nanites or whatever. Which, again, it's just fascinating how these nanites are able to build, construct whole shoulders and, and arms and hands, mechanical mm. ones, and... And view things, you know, with a spooky green green lens on it, on the face, and all these things just get just grow out of block. Right. Just that that's a little. It's it's fine. I mean, it's combining the ultimate nemesis from next gen with the significantly nasty uh, Taws nemesis. So that's great. That's great. Two great villains in <laughs> one threat. That's great. But I thought that was funny. Well, let me just say one thing real quick on that, because there was another time when Star Trek tried to combine those two. So in the first. Yeah. So in the first Star Trek Starfleet Academy novels, which was based in the Kelvin timeline when they were Uh all in school. Right. There's a the the first novel is all about this uh, cloud that uh, goes around and uh, murders women and things that they're there on campus so like san francisco has to go into like a lockdown at night because of this oh. this cloud going around killing people mm-hmm. in in the dark and inducing fear and all this stuff mm-hmm. they never actually come out and say it's red jack even though oh my gosh it's the exact same plot of <laughs> red jack but they also never come out and say it's definitely borg either i mean there's like one reference in the book where the uh, the swarm or whatever you want to call it the this this cloud mm-hmm. uh, fog it, it it says something like uh, ex, um, I almost said exterminate it, it says something that's kind of like a board thing to say uh, mm-hmm. but it never actually they never actually say it's board nanites they never actually say it's reject but it is exactly like if you combine those two um, mm. so it's kind of weird that that you just mentioned. That they here they're literally doing it and actually saying mm-hmm. it, whereas in the Starfleet Academy book they kind of hinted exactly. at both of them, but never actually came out and said it. I just wanted to go on to the idea that that Data's severed head can still speak. 
So the idea that even removed from the rest of his body, that data can still think and speak, uh, I guess he can still see and everything else. That makes a lot more sense than when Deadpool and Wolverine can do it. But um, how many of Data's components are stuffed into his head? I mean, his brain, okay, so positronic brain, we know that's there. And I would think the speaker, that is his voice, sure, no problem there. Eyes, sure, I guess. But what about the power source? So, yes, I'm thinking too much. Yeah. Uh, I always assumed the power source was somewhere in the trunk of the body. Um, so the idea that he can still... Ah, well, somewhere between the off switch and the head. <laughs> well, uh, I, I'll agree with you. I, I really balked at him talking here. I was just like, mm-hmm. wait, I, we've seen him get his head taken off and it's just a dead dummy head. You know, yeah, it's not it's not Prince Spiner talking. But right. then I thought, oh, well, in uh, Nemesis, they do have before when his body is not connected and it and it does talk and stuff. So I was just like, eh. I guess I'll have to give it to him that there is a precedent. But. Usually when we saw Data to get his head taken off, he, he was just a, a mannequin head. Exactly. So speaking of Data's head, when he gets reattached and looks like Frankenstein's monster, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of took me out that it's the, the Universe Studios version, the, the classic. As opposed to? The classic vis- movie version. Well, aside from the book, I mean, the book, he doesn't look like that. He doesn't have, you know, uh, doesn't look like a... You know, he doesn't have the flat head and the 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 bolts and stuff. Well, this guy okay, seems so, this, so, this data seems more like the Universal Studios version than the novel version. It's it, it's a nod to that, but I think it's also a nod to Christopher Lee's version of Frankenstein in the Hammer movies. So right, um, you know, so so that scar on his right cheek, mm-hmm. you know, with the with the stitching and stuff. I, I if I if I my memory serves me correctly. Uh, that's, I think that's the same way as Christopher Lee was in, uh, in the first Hammer Horror film. I mean, when you think of Hammer Horror, you typically think of uh, the vampire ones, mostly, because those were the most popular. But the first one was really the Frankenstein one. The Horror of Dracula was their, their second movie. Anyway, whatever. (laughs) But, uh, I do, it's, it's a hodgepodge though, right? So in the original Boris Karloff, Frankenstein, the bolts were on his neck, and right. here da- the bolts are on Data's what forehead? Kind forehead, of. yeah, right. And then he doesn't have a flat top. You know, he's got his you know kind of looks flat, head. but I guess it. I guess it's not. Well, <laughs> if you take a look, at, this is a different artist. I'm going to guess, but in next week's cover, yeah, you know, we're in Data and uh, Riker, or I guess Riker, uh, the Wolfman, where they're at each other. I mean, Data's head looks normal. I mean, oh, from the definitely standpoint does, of, yeah. Right. It's round. It's it, his hair's combed back, whatever. Right. He looks just like Data there. Yeah. Anyways. anyways. But, but you're right. I mean, isn't the neck stuff, you know, the neck stitching isn't, don't they have that on the universal one? Yeah. But I mean, here, the neck stitching makes sense because uh, he yeah, did they his head his head. All these people started disappearing. Were they all <laughs> going to different holodecks or was somehow Red Jack able to start getting people from other places? Good question. I don't know. They didn't tell us. All they said was people people are, are going missing and that's causing, you know, where's mommy? Where's mommy? Right. Yeah. You know, and it's like random people. Like, oh, yes, with cooking exactly. And they're they're gone, from all over the know. ship. Right. Yeah. Medical security <laughs> I never heard of before, but it actually makes sense with 
you know, they do have a lot of uh, deadly stuff there on the ship. So I guess it would make sense that they would need a security person. But, but what a that, boring I've job. never heard of it before. Talk about a but, boring job. <laughs> yeah, I got I got to guard the, uh, the the potions and stuff that Crush was <laughs> testing. Exactly. So it's like, oh, my God. I mean, couldn't you think that the regular security team could do that and kind of, you know, rotate or something? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But he's no, cool. he's medical security. Exactly. <laughs> and so so obnoxious. It's like, yeah, he was oh kind of God. a butt. I don't know. Yeah, and then he, like, shoots Red Jack, the, the mist. And the then it kind of falls to the floor, and he turns his back to it like, oh, oh I'm the best ever. And then in typical <laughs> horror movie fashion, it, it gets up and kills him. Just yeah, like, exactly. Well, why turn your back to it? Because I'm a jerk. I'm yeah. an egomaniac jerk. Okay, so looking at the one of the cover drawings from next week's issue, which shows mm-hmm. uh, data across from a werewolf guy, which we I think you're the first one that said, hey, that's probably Riker. And I think you're right. When I saw that, oh, Frankenstein versus Werewolf, it just took me back to my childhood watching some of the old um, universal horror movies and uh, tie-ins with that, Abbott and Costello. So uh, there were several different universal films where uh, Frankenstein fought the werewolf. Mm -hmm. Um, So the first one was uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, 1943. Okay, so that was one from my childhood. Definitely remember that. And then Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Classic. Loved that movie. Loved it. I used to love Abbott and Costello. And then they brought them together with uh, the monsters. It's like, oh, my God, a match made in heaven. And, and, the, and the humor was pretty good. Yeah, uh, I haven't watched it since I was a kid. So I, I didn't like it as much because I grew up loving the, the monsters. So Oh, the monsters. <laughs> yeah, that, that was my favorite. <laughs> okay. Would that that means you can't enjoy that? Or? For whatever reason, I just didn't. I was just like, oh, they're not the same. They're not. The, that's not Herman. And so, ah! <laughs> Herman's just groaning. It's like, come on, that's not Herman. Yeah, where's where's the big smile and the goofy laugh? <laughs> anyway, I liked it, but that you know, I'm sure it's one of those things if I go back and watch it now because I haven't seen that since well, a long, long time. I mean, if I really watch it again. It probably wouldn't be as good as I remembered. Sure. Now, now I, I do look forward to seeing exactly how. I mean, this could just be a cover, so there could, there may not be a, a fight between Riker Werewolf versus Data uh, Frankenstein, uh, because how would that work anyway? I mean, well, I don't know, I, but but we're about to we're about to review the second issue, so I guess we should already know. Exactly. How is that going to work? Is Riker taken over by Red Jack? Or is somehow Riker being able to dress up as a as a, a, a wolfman, a werewolf, uh, going to give him the ability to fight Data? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. And then what's up with uh, Troy looking like uh, the 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 like the uh, original mummy? Not not the Brendan Fraser one, but the old you know, ah! one, just a, a female version. Yeah. All right. Shall we move on? Let's do it. All right. All right, so next up is Halloween 2, which came out October of 2023. Uh, it has the uh, most of the same staff, but I'll go ahead and go through it. Written by Christopher Equera, 
art by Joe Esma, colors by Charlie Kirchhoff, letters by Clayton Cowles, design production by Neil Yutaki, group editor is Heather Antos, and editorial assist by Vanessa Rial. So there's two covers. Uh, the first one shows Deanna in a mummy type uh, outfit. Um, and then before her is Data dressed up as Frankenstein and Riker as a wolfman. And that is by Francisco Franchivile. And then the other cover is a J.K. Woodward painting, and it shows Riker transforming into a werewolf. And it's not a wolfman-looking werewolf. This is more like a howling-type werewolf with the big, long snout and the nasty fangs. And above this transformation, we see the Enterprise D flying over a full moon. And then Color C is just a black-and-white version of the the mummy Diana one. So the story picks up right where issue one left off with Ripper Red Jack and Frankenstein Data wandering the corridors, looking for more crew to grab and pull back into Holodeck 9. Phasers do not seem to slow down the two at all, so Riker is able to get Geordi to lock onto his throne communicator to make a makeshift force field right in front of Data. This seems to do the trick, and the monster's progression into the ship is halted. Later in the briefing room, the crew discuss options and land on a radical idea Crusher proposes using a Denoblian method of transplanting personalities onto another person's mind so that they can live completely as a different person for 30 minutes. She proposes that they implant the classic Universal Monsters onto select crew members who can then go into Holodeck 9 looking like they belong there back in the 1800s. Uh, they also say that these monster personas will be 100% incapable of feeling fear, and they also will have some sort of uh, augmentation so that they have anti-grav so that they're stronger, faster than a normal human. There is a risk, however. It says that the person who is brought into this total recall state too early or too late will have irreversible brain damage. So they have exactly 30 minutes from the time they become the monster to the time they become back to their normal selves. Otherwise, they risk permanent damage. Picard agrees with this plan and even says that he will go himself. He takes on the persona of Mr. Hyde. Troy goes in as the mummy, Riker goes in as the wolfman, and Worf goes in as a Klingon version of the Gill Man, a.k.a. Creature from the Black Lagoon. Once this monster squad enters the holodeck, the clock is set and running. Troy and Worf are there to try to rescue as many captured crew members as they can, while Riker and Picard take on Data and Red Jack. So with the augmented strength of the monster squad troy is able to smash into the wall hard enough that it knocks out the holodeck emitters and reveals the arch riker's wolfman persona fights data and picard's hide persona is in a fight with red jack all the fights are somewhat of a stalemate until eventually they start teaming up Worf and Riker are able to knock down the Frankenstein monster Data, 
to the ground. And they then make their way to Red Jack, and they're able to tackle him as well once Picard throws his cloak over his head. Data and Troy are now fighting when Data starts to kind of break away from Red Jack's reprogramming. He asks for help, and she in her mummy mode does not respond. Meanwhile, in the control room, Barclay notices that Troy's brainwaves are giving an SOS that uh, this must mean that Troy wants to break free early from her monster persona. Crusher eventually agrees, saying that they'll take the risk that the Betazoid brain is just more resilient than a human one. Troy becomes herself, and Data requests her for help, so she rips his head clean off his body. Data, in a very Spock's brain type of move, does surgery on himself so that he'll be able to fight off Red Jack's control in the future. Troy puts his head back on, and they start gathering up the crew members to get off the holodeck. The other monster crew are also on their way out since they instinctively know that they must exit the holodeck after 30 minutes of going in. As they're making their way to the exit, many of the captured crew start picking up pitchforks and torches, and they head off the escaping bridge crew. To be continued. Spooky, spooky, scary, scary. You know, I kind of like the whole Monster Squad idea because mm-hmm. that's exactly what I call them also. But in my notes. But, um, oh, my God, they're going through a lot of <laughs> uh, hard to swallow explanation to to make this happen, to make this possible. Right. And I And, and I'm not digging all the the techno babble, whatever that they use to make this happen, but they made it happen. And I kind of like seeing, uh, Picard hide and the other, other characters in action. Right. Yeah. And it's kind of weird that, I mean, basically it's, it's the plot of total recall, right? So we can, we can input another persona into your brain and then you'll just think you're that person for 30 minutes Mm -hmm. and then you'll go back to normal or we can snap you out of it. Um, but then it it gets you to wondering, I mean, even like with total recall, I don't think he was ever actually supposed to get out of the chair. He was just supposed to be implanted with these memories of a vacation Mm -hmm. without ever actually leaving. So even this denotable, why, why would you, yeah. So what, what value does it give you to become another person, walk around for 30 minutes and then come back and become yourself? Um, I would really think that you would just like in Total Recall, just be sitting in the chair for that 30 minutes and you think you did all this other stuff. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think that's just as good. But this had to be real. Right, right. For this story, so, yes. Yes. For this story, yeah. Yeah. Although they are on the holodeck the whole time, but they are real on the holodeck. Right. With augmented yeah, so, strength and powers. Well, yeah, and the whole... Aug- so they actually said something about Reduce gravity, giving them aug- augmented strength. Yeah, in their in their monster personas, their techno- they, get, they they in their costumes, Jordy has put in some anti grav stuff to make them stronger. Oh, is that what happened? Okay, That's I missed that. They, I missed that line. Say happened. It doesn't make sense, but <laughs> yeah, uh, I, yeah. I don't. I don't see the whole reason that you have strength, more strength. 
if you are in a lower gravity situation is that your muscles are used to the higher gravity and now you're in a lower gravity. Right. So, I mean, they're still in an environment, in an environment that's the same gravity. It's the ship's gravity, whatever the ship's set to. Right. And so there's supposedly an aura of reduced gravity on them. And that's what gives them an enhanced strength. I, I don't know. Right. I don't uh, and know, once whole... Red Jack figured that out, why wouldn't he just program the holodeck walls, which aren't really there to just be that much more dense to, to keep them from being able to break through and stuff like that. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. But the other good thing is, I mean, and I kind of buy this one is that you won't have any fear. Because you're in a right. different personality state of being or whatever that, that that don't have any fear. So I can I can I can understand that being a benefit. It's just this enhanced strength garbage. I'm not so sure about. <laughs> yeah, and, and as far as their personas go, I I, mm-hmm. I mean, both the mummy and the Wolfman are so much more talkative than any Wolfman or. Mummy. Mummy movie I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Troy has all these yeah. monologues about, you know, being the queen of time and, you know, all yeah. these like blah, blah, blah about her magical defending, powers. And it's just defending, like oh, defending her people that she's responsible for for protecting or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the end, somebody said hey, wouldn't it be cool if we could have Picard and the, and the main bridge crew be different uh, horror characters? Right. Uh, they say, Great. Okay, how can we make that happen? And then they back into it. And it's like they start throwing all these, these techno-babble ideas out. Well, they got to right. have enhanced strength. How are you going to explain that? Okay, uh, Geordi, uh, you know, reduced gravity field. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Okay, whatever. <laughs> so in the end, you got to just ignore all that and just say, okay, hey, look. Riker's uh, Wolfman. Good. Yeah, and I like that. I, I mean, it like Cupid and the other Next Generation holiday mm-hmm. episodes. It was just, it's just a fun one. Yeah. Ah. Uh, yeah. And I really like that Data has the big giant platform shoes. There's a, there's a, there's a shot mm-hmm. of him when he's fighting uh, Troy. Right. Where you right. really see <laughs> the lifts. It's just exactly. Oh, that's so funny. Which, which is right from the old movies. Right. Although, you know, Karloff was a really tall guy. They still had to put lifts on him to make him look really big. So speaking of that, you just mentioned about Data and the lifts. So that was a nice homage to the original incarnations of, uh, of Frankenstein. Picard's Jekyll, though. So I just want to talk a little bit about that. So in 1931, Frederick March won the Academy Award for his portrayal of uh, Jekyll and Hyde. In, in in one of the many incarnations or many many of the movies, so there was like uh, in 1920 there was a Jekyll and Hyde movie. In 1931 there was a Jekyll and Hyde movie with Frederick Mar- March, and then there was another one with Spencer Tracy in the early 40s. So it's like roughly every 10 years for a while there they were doing Jekyll and Hyde movies. But mm-hmm. the Frederick Mar- March one, um, which he got the Oscar for, was heavy heavy makeup. Which, in my opinion, almost tries to make him look like a, like like a caveman or something. But heavy makeup, but that's not Picard. So we're looking at Picard. His face is normal, although he's got you know really uncharacteristic 
uh, scowl on his face, you know, the arched eyebrows and things like that. And so I'm looking at this going, okay, you know, it's, it, it's interesting what they're choosing to, to include or not include. However, there was a great, I, I really enjoyed it, but there was a TV series, a short series uh, called uh, Jekyll. And, uh, oh, yeah, was, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it was a BBC one. I, I, I like Exactly. That. Right. So Stephen Moffat of Doctor Who and other thing fame. He also was one of the guys behind um, Sherlock, the TV mm-hmm. series. Great. Does great stuff. And, and this Jekyll show was really good. And the guy that starred in it was James Nesbitt. And he did an awesome job because he had no makeup. So when he was Hyde, it was all arched eyebrows and, and very specific looks and different angles of his face, but no makeup. So I think the Picard here is more uh, maybe calling back to the uh, Nesbitt version of Jekyll than the Frederick Mar- March version. Version, Right. Yeah, definitely not the uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Hyde, which was basically a Ooh, giant what was that one? Hulk. There's another version. I, I was not aware of that one. So, and and I think they had a more recent Jekyll and Hyde TV show from from the from the Brits. Oh, right. I don't know much about that. Yeah, you said every ten years, and I'm like, I think there's, I think now there's a lot more than every ten years before they crank out a new one. I was talking about back in the uh, yeah, I know, I know, you know, early, early twentieth century. Yeah, I think once it hit public domain, they started cranking them out in earnest. <laughs> there you go. So, what'd you think of uh, the the Klingon Gill Man? You know, at first I was thinking he was an odd looking uh, creature from the Black Lagoon, but then mm-hmm. eventually it I reminded me of Worf's explanation of the. Uh, of the Klingon, a Mukaran day, aquatic myth monster. Right. So I think it was somewhere near the beginning of the first issue. Worf mentions it. And it's like, it took me a little while to say, Oh, that's the, that's the Klingon Mukaran guy or whatever. Okay. Right. Right. Well, what do you think of his, <laughs> his trident batleth? His uh, trileth, as he calls it. Trileth. Oh, he called it a trileth? Okay. He calls it a trileth. It's the most impractical weapon I've ever seen. (laughs) So basically, it's a batleth curve, but instead of it being a blade, it has uh, three arrows, arrow points poking out of it like a trident. Like a trident, yeah. But but yeah, you can't cut with it. You can't, uh, because it would get stuck on one of the points it's just right. very impractical looking i guess you could stab somebody with those three points mm-hmm. yeah I oh, you could do damage say. it's just not the most effective weapon in the world right i, I agree with you so yeah I, I thought i thought it's fine fine it's at least a trident kind of makes sense but uh mm-hmm. but trying to merge a trident and a batleth just uh came across as a little silly i thought well what do you think of Riker? As the Wolfman, I liked Riker as the Wolfman. Like I said, he was a little more talky than uh, I think he yes. should have been. Yeah, definitely, he talks all the time. Yeah, uh, uh, but but he still says things like, "Hmm, you you smell like w- w- some like part of my pack or something." To Data when he had Data, to on data the right, right. So that was like, okay, fine. And uh, what do you? Okay, so we talked about where these these different things are getting some of their looks. 
because we you had mentioned the Frankenstein thing, and we talked a little bit about that in the first issue, and then we talked about uh, Picard uh, mm-hmm. being Hyde, and uh, we talked about Worf, and what about what, what, what's Riker's inspiration for his look, or is it well, totally just made up? I don't know. I mean, uh, kind of looks like a Teen Wolf a little bit. I mean, it doesn't oh, quite look like uh, it doesn't look like. You know, it doesn't look like a J.K. Woodward painting at all with the big, long snout no. like a howling. So yeah. it looks more yeah. like the Wolfman, but not not quite like the Wolfman. Kind of like, a, like I said, a teen wolf thing where he still looks human, but uh, just has some wolf features. What did you think? Well, I was thinking from the facial standpoint. I mean, yeah, he's, he's lighter than – I mean, the amount of facial hair is a lot lighter than um, Lon Chaney mm-hmm. uh, Jr., uh, who many times he played the Wolfman in the old days. And definitely the face is nothing like uh, the Wolfman that was in uh, American Werewolf in London. Right. Which was very snouty, very, uh, you know, wolfy, as opposed yeah. to being kind of sort of more human look, look. Right. But I'm looking at the jackets. Like, what what's the deal with the red jacket? Where'd that come from? And, uh, and, and um, what, Naughton? I forgot the name of the act, full name of the actor that was in uh, American Werewolf in London. At the mm. beginning of the movie, he did wear a red, like a red coat. Mm. So I don't know, but it didn't look like the same. I mean, the red coat that he had was all red. It didn't have white collars. Uh, right. So I didn't know whether it was supposed to be a nod to that or whether, you know, maybe it's a Teen Wolf thing. You, you mentioned that. I mean, uh, I think there was a TV show, Teen Wolf, wasn't there? There was a TV show. I haven't watched that. I just watched the old My, Michael J. Fox and Jason Bateman oh, movies, movies? From, from the past. Oh, right. Um, yeah, and I, a lot of those things I never saw. So mm. I don't know whether maybe one of those would be more appropriate. But the closest thing I could find was uh, Naughton in uh, American Werewolf in London. And really, that was only a match from a color standpoint. <laughs> right. And then the flannel shirt. You know, Is that supposed to be a match of something? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. But yeah, his face basically looks like Riker's, maybe with some yeah. peach fuzz, but uh, it, you can't really peach tell. Cause, well, I mean, you can't tell if his his cheeks and forehead have have like fine hair, but it kind of doesn't look like it does. So it looks like he just has bushy eyebrows and the beard and and, and hair. That's normal. Right. And but and he does have a dog nose. He, he does have the uh, the dog nose and the pointed ears. Yeah. Yeah. But then his hands and his feet definitely look canine with, with big long claws and everything, yeah. yeah. And then I think we talked about Tiana before. Yeah, we talked about her last issue where yeah. she kind of looked like a, she has the, the headdress of the Hammer movies. Mummy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I thought it was kind of weak at the beginning. I'm kind of jumping around. Mm-hmm. Um, when Riker and Worf and about five other security people are shooting so there's one two three four five at least five different phaser beams are going and it isn't affecting anybody right i mean they're shooting at rejack and um and data as frankenstein or uh data stein or franken data whatever you want to call them (laughs) um and it's like oh my god i really hate when they when they make phasers which are awesomely powerful weapons totally ineffective Right. So, I mean, they didn't explain it in the book that I recall, but he is half Borg, and the Borg 
adapt. So maybe he gave uh, Data the uh, Borg um, abil- adaptation. Borg shields. Yeah. Borg shields, personal shields. Exactly. Maybe, maybe. I mean, uh, th- that is what happened in the first episode or the first issue. Right. Uh, how he got around that. So, but. So I'm go- I'm going with that on on the data one too, even though it just looks like the the phases are bouncing off of him. Yeah. Superman style. <laughs> what do you think of the uh, artwork in general? Eh, it's pretty hit or miss. I did go back and reread um, the 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 last Next Generation Red Jack. Which mm-hmm. I really liked those. That that was a wild storm issue. The the artwork was fantastic. I thought it was called Embrace the Wolf. Mm-hmm. So I did go back and reread that, and then now I'm coming back to this one, and I'm just like, man, it's so jarring how different the art styles are. Because this is very, yeah. I don't know, cartoony. I mean, it, it looks good, well, but it's just compared it, it, to those paintings, it's just like, wow, it's it, a little. And the amount of the amount of detail is very light in certain panels. I mean, in particular, when they're in some of their uh, the conference room things talking, mm-hmm. um, there is there's a drawing of Deanna in particular. There is like no facial detail on Deanna's face at all. I mean, she right she looks very two dimensional. Uh, I mean, but you can see her now. The style now. I mean, you, a well, lot of the, I, the a lot of the IDW Star Trek stuff come comes out looking like this. Like it's very okay two dimensional. Well, uh, another. Another book we we reviewed recently was uh, Star Trek 2020 or 20 yeah 2020 uh, issue number 12 and in that issue I am just knocked out at how good the artwork was mm-hmm. how right. much detail it is how much everybody looked like the actors just and the ships look great I mean the amount of time it must have taken the artist to do all those kind of things is quite it, it must have been a lot of time because it's just so detailed and that I like. This, eh, I'm not liking it as much. <laughs> well, I, I mean, not to belittle anybody's work, because I definitely couldn't. No, do I, it, but, no, no uh, of course not. None of us can. I'm just but, stating, but who knows. But I would also say this is kind of the, the style a lot of times with the, especially with the old Kelvin books and stuff. Mm-hmm. It always seemed like, you know, the the background was just like a flat picture. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was just, that was the style. And that that's kind of this style, too, is just that. It, it looks a it looks a little flat. Yeah, flat, light on detail. Right, it's fine. It's great. I enjoyed the book. I'm just, it's just my personal preference. Sure, I get it. So speaking of that conference scene, what'd you think of Scotty's little cameo where they're watching some uh, 1960s footage of Scotty being interviewed after the Red Jack thing? Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> It's fine. I mean, I don't think it looks that much like Scotty, but no, yeah. it doesn't look like him at all. Yeah, no mustache or anything. No, just kidding. <laughs> I have a mustache. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he looks pretty uh, bedraggled, and and I think I think the performance was pretty good in the in the Taws episode. I mean, Scotty was really concerned. I mean, he he was very upset about potentially having killed this person that they they said he did right um so and and i think they're getting that across in the the drawing pretty well right yeah they show it on two different panels but it's the exact same shot of scotty so i guess they paused it yeah (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, if you can reuse a, a, a drawing, why not? Right. Anyway. Well, so, what do you, since we're looking at things like that, what did you think of the uh, the Monster Mash thing that Dr. Crusher is putting up on the wall? Where there's like a like a Brady Bunch set of nine. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't blown away with that at all. Yeah, I thought it was kind of silly. I mean, the, <laughs> not silly, but just some of the drawings are just very Meh. basic. Yeah. So we got Dracula, and we got Frankenstein, and we got the mummy, which really is just bandages. Mm-hmm. Uh, what? Okay, so in the middle, is that supposed to be Paul Lind? That's just a joke. You uh, always center square. It's a joke I don't get. <laughs> so in put... the Hollywood squares. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul yeah. Lind would always have the center square. Yeah. Gotcha. And then what, what? What is this supposed to be? Hellboy? What's a, a demon? What is <laughs> that? Definitely looks to... like a demon. Yeah, with a little black goatee and. Yeah, he looks like he and the one right to the the left of him are demons, but I don't know yeah. what the difference is. Well, I, I think the one at the far at the left, who's all red and has uh, fangs and has wings, is probably mm-hmm. a little more traditional kind of demon, I would think. Where I think the middle of the guy, the, the middle guy is channeling, even though he doesn't have sawed off horns, he's channeling a Hellboy a little bit. There you go. And then we have what uh, an abominable snowman, and then that looks like abominable snowman, crocodile man, ah, werewolf, that- and Medusa. Yeah, well, crocodile. Yeah, I don't know what the crocodile man is supposed to be exactly. <laughs> I mean, a dinosaur maybe. I don't dragon. Know. Uh, the lizard from Spider Man. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But what, yeah. what's Medusa doing there? It's like because you you have to you have to have a lady in the in it to you know to balance things out. So yes. you so you grab the Medusa from uh, mythology. Greek mythology, yeah, yeah. It's like that's kind of weird. Anyway, whatever. Spooky character. Spooky. I mean, why didn't they have a Bride of Frankenstein? How about that? You could have had that in there. You know, the big well, big. Well, they, they probably couldn't fit the hair. Yeah. Well, that character was made specifically for the movies, so maybe. Maybe to to so that they could say we're trying to invoke the books and not the movies. They can't bring in characters that were invented for the movie. The books, well, yeah. what what book was uh, Medusa made for? I mean, well, that's just Greek mythology. But I'm saying exactly. Frankenstein is based on a book that's in public domain. Bride of Frankenstein was created for a movie that may or may not be in public domain. So, you know, all the other ones you can kind of say are public domain general monsters but but she you would say you would have to say is well if you're if if you're including frankenstein i think that would be just as equally slippery slope as um bride of frankenstein but whatever anyway so it's cute it's (laughs) cute uh i did like the little call out to denobula uh oh we're oh right that was the that was that's, the that's time they came up thing. with this whole contraption, right. supposedly. Right. Okay. Well, they are a hedonistic society, aren't they? I was going to say, if you had like seven wives and seven husbands, I mean, when do you have time to create these 30-minute kind of uh, vacations? <laughs> <laughs> or uh, get assigned to a, uh, a starship. Yeah. Well, as you know, that put a very big strain on his family relationships. Yes. 
Indeed. We're talking about Dr. Flux, obviously. Oh, obviously, yes. There you go. But anyways, I liked I liked the little call out to him because uh, Enterprise does not get nearly as much love as it should. <laughs> there you go. Okay, that's all I have to say about this one personally, except that I am enjoying the series so far. I'm a big Halloween fan, so having a Halloween thing like this, I'm digging. Right. And my last comment, obviously, is um, when Troy rips his head off, rips Data's mm-hmm. head off, and then yeah. Data's doing surgery on his uh, neck stump. Well, is it him or what? what no. So. So all they all, all Regak did is put some device in his neck. Is that all is he's that doing? Is like pulling that little piece of bubble gum off? I think I think so. Ah oh, man, I thought he was like I thought that was like a tool, and he was like doing something. But no, I think you're right. I think it's just him yanking off a piece of bubble gum. <laughs> <laughs> and okay, then so they're able to stick thing. the head back on. Yeah, it's it's a little red thing that does kind of look like a piece of bubble gum. I, I'll agree with that, but. It's organic. It's an organic form of technology. I don't. Mm. But uh, his uh, wire guts obviously look a lot like uh, aliens, androids more than Data. Mm. Mm. When Data gets his head popped off, he doesn't have stringy, milky veins well, and stuff popping out. Where's stringy, milky? I well, I just see brown brown wiring, which I, the color's weird, but they look white to me. But okay, it's not like there's a lot of water coming out. No, I, mean, I don't no. see water at all, quite frankly. I don't see liquid, I should say. No, no, you're right. Right. And so so Data wasn't – they made a big deal about Data not able to attach his head again. So he's got both of his hands up holding his head in place. Oh, that's right. So <laughs> still holding are, are they saying that in the coming battle – because that's how they leave this, right? Right. They've got, they've got the monster squad there in front of the holodeck thingy. And then they have all of these, uh, you know, I guess Starfleet crew that are uh, that are under the control of Rajak, right? Coming to attack yeah. them. it's a very, it's a very, uh, it's kind of a silly ending because they're literally two steps away from the door. All they got to do is I know you can just out. leave. Well, and they you know, still have fourteen minutes of their brainwashing, so it's not like, oh, are they going to make it in time? So it's yeah. literally just they either got to make two steps or they got fourteen minutes to get to the get to the exit either yeah, way, way I, I think they can do it and the way i justify this is they're staying in there and not running out i would be running out because they're trying to save those those crewmen that are sure. enthralled to rejack sure sure because otherwise i wouldn't bye later gators i'm out of here <laughs> we'll get you on the next time now personally if i was in data situation because because if he keeps doing what he's doing right now at the end of the book in the final page he, both of his hands are going to be taken up. Right. It's going to be rather awkward. I would do more of a uh, C-3PO or something like that where I take the head out, put it under one arm, and at least you got the <laughs> other arm ready to uh, run around like a football player. Well, yeah. Now you have to be very careful keeping the head, the football facing forward so you can see what you're doing. But I think uh, at least you'd free up one arm. Sure, sure. Well, we'll find out what happens uh, next episode. There you go. Looking forward to it, since it is to be continued. Right. And so, I love when they use the uh, the same next-gen font. Oh, yeah, yeah, from Beth, Best of Both Worlds and things like exactly. that. Exactly. You always hear that music. Dun, 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 dun. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis McCarthy or whoever did that. That was great. 
it's classic. All right. Well, that wraps up this episode. So uh, we will do issue three and four in episode 405. Excellent. See you next time, everybody, on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.